FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening on 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And a special welcome to those listening in from Hadsbon in Tasmania this morning on 88, in Banala in Victoria on 87.6, or in Ellesmere in Queensland also on 88. So if you're from one of those particular locations, let us know. Shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you this morning. We're going to have, well, a bunch of fascinating news stories to share in the next couple of uh, sections. But, Mm -hmm. Lawson, before we get there, what are you thankful for this morning? Well, I'm thankful because I am very sore. Okay. Yeah, I'm very sore. You have sore. been exercising? That's right. Well, you've been playing volleyball. I've been playing volleyball yesterday. How did I, guess? I played basketball and it just like I woke up this morning and I'm like, "Man, I'm sore." And I'm like, "Yes." Like it's just, you know, knowing you got good exercise in, your muscles got a good workout and they're just in a stage of recovery. I'm like, "Yeah, this is awesome." You're getting stronger. I just feel good. Yeah, I'm going to soon my spikes are going to be crazy. That's yes. a, that's actually so far. I can like because I'm a pretty short guy. I'm playing beach beach volleyball. <laughs> like you can't jump very high, and I'm like trying to send it over this net, but I can I can barely get up there. So you know, I'm more of a set guy. I love the ball. Like I love going for the ball when it comes over and throwing it up to someone else so they can hit it over. It's like my favorite thing. It's go. oh. So if you like volleyball, tell us about it. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And Lawson's about to bring you the start of the quiz. It's about to happen. Here we go. Jesus told Nathaniel he had seen him under what? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win our prize for this week, which is called Snake Bites and Shipwrecks. It is this epic board game. I'm sure many of you guys out there love board games because you get to spend time with people, doing awesome things, winning. That's my favourite part of board games, honestly, is, is just winning. winning. Winning, yeah, yes. that's, that's right. Being first. It, th- correct, correct. You know, the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? Yeah, I know. But uh, look, I'll take, I'll take my wins now and... Uh, you know, be last later. Uh, but hey, you can get this board game, Snake, snake Bites and Shipwrecks. It essentially works as, it's kind of like a, a map slash tile game where you, you fill out a particular board on your turn. You're trying to create essentially the journey that Paul went on in his missionary endeavors. And that's, you know, very related to the name, Snake Bites and Shipwrecks. That's exactly what he went to, went, what he went through on his missionary journey. But again, Jesus told Nathaniel he had seen him under what? 0491-064-669. Actually, I'll tell you what, I'm really good at the board games where you just have to lie a lot. And maybe that's this a, is not a positive. Maybe thing. that's a negative thing. That's it. That's definitely like, a negative. Thing. When when you like lie and manipulate people into thinking you're someone different than you are, it's like like you know, or like Werewolf and Avalon and all those games. I'm fantastic at those games, but then I'm like kind of scared of myself. 
Because I'm like, it's not really lying. You know, we're in the so context is, of a board is, this game. Is, this is confession on air, right? Yeah, yeah, that's this right. Is, this is Lawson confessing that's right, his, his sins. Because I'm like, oh, weaknesses. you know, it's not really lying because it's just a board game. And, you know, we have license here. But then I'm like, am I training myself to be the best liar ever? This is a very valid question. I'm like... Dude, I, I'm fantastic at those games. This is something that you need to do some personal reflection. I know. I need to pray about it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I need to to read my Bible, <laughs> get into it. But, hey, we have uh, a few stories today. The great thing about this board oh. game is you don't have to lie. You don't have to lie. That's right. It's pure and honest. You just get to win. <laughs> Anyways, let's have a look. I have some stories in the area of health. Okay. And good health. Now, a study has been done in mm. some universities, specifically the University of Newcastle and the University of Leeds in the UK, so not the University of Newcastle here. Okay, I was going to say, this is a local story. No, nah, not. not quite. University of Newcastle in England, where essentially they found that resistant starch, so resistant starch, this thing called resistant starch, mm. has the ability to reduce cancers in the body uh, by 60%. Like the amount of people getting cancer. Essentially, they did this huge international. So when you get resistant starch, I'll tell you. I'll tell you in a little bit. So, uh, in this international trial that they did, it involved a thousand patients with Lynch syndrome, mm-hmm. and so they were very susceptible to growing cancers. Uh, and they found that a regular dose of resistant starch, also known as fermentable fiber, uh, taken for an average of two years, so over a period of two Most years. Most of the starch I eat, like, is very compliant. Mm. It's there. I eat it. it it's complied. not. It's not running it away. It's with not, my wishes. It's not, it's not with my wishes to be eaten. But it reduced cancers pretty much everywhere in the body except for the bowel. But it's, it's specifically good for cancers in the upper um, digestional, like stomach region. So you know your areas like digestive your, tract, es- esophagus, your you know gastric bi- biliary tract, your pancreatic uh, cancers, these kinds of things. Just you know, they saw a massive reduction in this area. Now, where do we get resistant starch from? That's the question. One of the places where resistant starch can be found incredibly easily is green bananas. Really? Yeah, they're full. Really? Green bananas are full of resistant starch. Really? Yeah. So, unripe bananas. So, well, can't you get... Isn't there some bananas that are ripe when they're green, though? Sure. But they're talking about like unripe, unripe green bananas. bananas. Okay, they're yeah. like, there is a ton of resistant starch in them that is incredibly good for This was part of the diet. I like my bananas about people. halfway in between. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't like brown bananas at all. That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and chompy ones like that I feel like eating a carrot. Nah, not in nah, that Nah, nah, nah. Oh, yeah, you just got to, like, you're talking about a perfectly ripe yeah, the banana. Perfect, of, the perfect of banana. Of course, everyone yes. like. But this is saying, hey, eat your green bananas, and Bam. it's incredibly good for you. You can also find resistant starch in oats as well. So if you're into eating Love oats. Love porridge. Yeah. So if you're into eating porridge, I am not a cook. that is. I, I do not do things in the kitchen, uh-huh. but I can make a porridge that is better than anybody else's porridge on the planet. <laughs> on the He said, planet. I'm a chef. I heat up my Uncle Toby's and, you know. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm really not a big fan of porridge, so maybe maybe you could convert me. I could if easily. you if this porridge. The reason is so you are good. not a fan of porridge is because you've never eaten my porridge. Really? Yes. Are you serious? I'm, I'm absolutely dead serious. Producer Shell's nodding fact. in the studio. She's like, it's legit. Uh-huh. It's real because Producer Shell is a fantastic. She is cook. just like an amazing off the charts cook. Yeah, and then there's she you. can cook better than anybody else on anything. 
except porridge. Oh, okay. <laughs> I own this space. <laughs> Andy won't share the recipe. He's very secretive about it when he makes his no, porridge. I'll, I'll share the recipe. No problem. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, essentially. I'll leave out my secret. But hey, it's I guess it's porridge, and you just get some green bananas, cut it up into your porridge, and basically you won't get cancer. There you go. That, that's what we're seeing here. Hey, I've got another story here, uh, and it's a story about HIV and how recently in the news there have been a string of like HIV cures that have been unrelated, con- coincidental, and totally random because of random medical procedures that has just led to the, a person with HIV. So no longer having HIV. Yeah, that's right. This particular person, now they had HIV since the 1980s. And they've been taking medication and, and battling, and it's something that definitely reduces your life expectancy and whatnot. You know, someone who could, say, live to potentially 80 or 90 or kind of regular maximum age, you know, contracting HIV, although they can take medication or whatnot, they'll probably live until their 50s or 60s. If they, even if they, like, if they take no medication, if they take no treatment, then they'll just die. Um, but, you know, taking treatment, they have a drastically shortened life span. Now, this person uh, went and was treated for leukemia. So they developed leukemia as well. So they're having some very significant health troubles. And leukemia treatment, one of the things they do is essentially a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. They take out the bone marrow that you have and they put other people's bone marrow in. Mm-hmm. As a result of this bone marrow transplant, this person's been in remission of HIV for like 18 months. So does that mean that we're going to use bone marrow transplant now to treat HIV? Now, this is the thing is this is the only patient that they've one of the only patients that they've seen this in because this is like one of the only patients that they've gone, Oh, this person has HIV and leukemia. Let's give them a bone marrow transplant. They don't have like a long list of people receiving bone marrow transplants and being cured of HIV. Okay, so what we need to do then is to start doing bone marrow transplants on HIV patients to see what happens. Yeah, that's right. But it's just like so out of the blue. Like they're like, okay, this guy's leukemia. Let's give him a bone marrow tra- transplant. And not only has he overcome his leukemia, but HIV gone away. HIV. So what was the other one? So I don't have access to some of the. I, I didn't have on the page some of the other um, use like ways that people were overcoming HIV. But like in the theme through all of them. Uh, that the article was talking about was that they were just going in for random medical procedures for other types of diseases. And coming out without HIV. Yeah. This is very interesting. Maybe HIV is easier to get rid of than what we th- first thought of. We've just been looking in the wrong place for cures for it. Maybe, like, it's essentially, I could imagine, well, in this specific story, it's like, hey, if you re- replace something that's HIV contaminated with something that isn't, say, bone marrow, then your immune system has the ability to kick in and say, oh, well, hey, like, this is different. This is healthy. This is good. Let's get rid of HIV. So, yeah, this is a very interesting space, and we'll have to see in the future where this goes. Now, like, this, these stories have really opened the eyes of a lot of medical professionals and scientists and researchers, and they're like, okay, let's, let's start putting some steps in place to do some, some trials on this thing. Do some thorough research on it, find but, out whether it's actually legit or not, whether it was some other random thing that caused it to go away. Yeah, that's right. But I don't think random things don't usually cause HIV to go away. It seems mm. that people live with that for the rest of their lives. That's usually how it goes down. Yeah. But in this case, it's like, okay, have a big medical procedure and then you don't have HIV anymore. We need to raise this question with some of the experts that we get on here from time to time Mm. that are um, into complementary medicine. 
mm. and find out, has anybody ever been looking into this from a complementary perspective and what kind of results have they been able mm. to achieve? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Here on The Breakfast Show, we're about to get into some more serious news and in more serious news we're going to talk about the uh, transgender laws that are existing down in Victoria. Wow. Just a heads up on that one, but before we do, we are, amongst other stories from Victoria, Victoria's going to cop a beating this morning. And they deserve it. Victorians, get ready. (laughs) It's going to happen. But what have we got? Let's have a look at our next clue for the quiz, which is complete the verse. As for me and my house, we will blank, blank, blank. 0491 is the number to call if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you can go into the draw to win Shipwrecks and Snake Bites, an amazing board game that you can play where you map out with different tiles, Paul's ministry, missionary journey, all the different places that he went and all the different things that he did. And you can work together, work against each other, play this game, have an amazing time. Again, that question was, complete the verse, as for me and my household, we will... Blank, blank, blank. 0491-064-669. All right. So hard to not just say out right the there, answers like, with some tough. of these ones. That's with, tough. Particularly with these blank ones. It's like, oh. Every, I know the end of that. Every, <laughs> every cell of my body wants to just spit it out. Okay. So for our uh, friends down in Victoria, here's the simple reality. Mm. The simple reality for you is that Daniel Andrews can transition your child at any time without your consent. Wow. That's the fact. Personally? There is zero ambiguity in the education policy. The education policy is crystal clear. Let me read it to you. Mm -hmm. There may be circumstances in which students wish or need to undertake gender transition without the consent of their parents or carers and or without consulting medical practitioners. If no agreement can be reached between the student and the parents regarding the student's gender identity or if the parents will not consent to the contents of a student support plan, it will be necessary for the school to consider whether the student is a mature minor. If a student is considered a mature minor, they can make decisions for themselves without parental consent and should be affirmed in their gender identity at school without a family representative carer participating in formulating the school management plan. Department policy addresses situations in which students, through though under the age of 18 years, may be, may be sufficiently mature to make their own decisions, are referred to mature minors and decision-making. Okay, so here's the simple reality of what we have here. Particularly, you know, you look at these first couple of lines, there may be circumstances in which students wish or need to undertake gender transition without the consent of their parents or carers, and without consulting medical practitioners. Let's think about that for a moment. Because here you have children who are making what is probably the single most monumental decision that they will ever make about anything ever in their life. Mm. Now, I would say that the decision to serve God is a bigger decision. Mm. But there can be no bigger decision outside of your decision to serve God than this. transitioning. Yeah. And uh, what we are doing is that this is then going to be a medical procedure that is going to be diagnosed by the child and prescribed by the teacher. 
Now, in any other field of medicine, no matter how minor, if you diagnose and prescribe without having the proper qualifications to do so, you're done. You, you jail. You going absolutely. You're yeah. going to jail. It's as simple as that. You know, if 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 somebody comes in here and they've got a they've got a runny nose, mm-hmm. and I diagnose and prescribe, and I say you have a head cold, you need to drink more water. That's a diagnosis. That's a prescription. I can be sued for that. Now it's unlikely that that's ever going to happen, and no judge is going to bother to take that one to court. I get that, but it's actually illegal to do so. Mm. Because I haven't done 10 years studying to become a doctor. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's think about this for a moment. We don't let a child choose a life partner and get married. Mm-hmm. I'm a marriage celebrant. I can't marry a 16-year-old mm. or a 12-year-old. Mm. And when you think about it, choosing a life partner and getting married is a whole lot less Light monumental than transitioning yeah. because it's fully reversible mm. and it has a much lower suicide rate. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't let a child choose a life partner or get married. We don't let a child... We, we don't. A child doesn't choose a career because they haven't finished their education yet. They might say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be. Mm. But until they finish their education, they don't become a part of a career. We don't let a child use recreational drugs. Mm-hmm. Like alcohol. We don't let a child choose to have sex with an adult. Yeah. Right? Because they can't give consent. That's right. It's an impossibility. We don't let a child buy a rattle can of paint from Bunnings. Mm. You go to Bunnings and all that stuff is behind padlocks. We don't let a nurse who is highly educated in the health field diagnose and prescribe. Wow. Nurse is not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a doctor to do that. But we do let a child self-diagnose based on what they feel like with no symptoms whatsoever at all other than their feelings. And then we let a school teacher prescribe. Mm. This is a school teacher who has a three- to four-year degree in teaching. Mm. Let them teach. That which, is a, a, which is a worthy endeavour. Absolutely. Like, what, absolutely. We love school teachers. We do. I'm not putting school teachers down. I'm just saying you are trained to teach. To teach. So teach. <laughs> don't, don't prescribe. Don't diagnose and prescribe. You're not a medical pr- practitioner. You don't have a decade of training behind you that a doctor is going mm. to have. And neither do we, and that's why we shouldn't do it either. Absolutely. (laughs) I will never tell your child what they should be doing in relationship to these kinds of things. Uh, A teacher that is in charge of a class of 25 students on average in Australia, where they see those students maybe, you know, one or two classes a day, Mm. but typically one a day. So you get to see the students for an hour a day in the context of 25 other students. And we're going to say that that teacher knows those students' needs better than their own parents who have on average two children and get a lot more one-on-one time with those children than what the teacher does. Mm -hmm. And then we say that, well, actually we can let the teacher do that because the teacher loves those children and cares for them more than what the parent does. That's, in effect, what we're saying. 
well, what Victoria's saying, what Daniel Andrews is saying down there in Victoria. There's, 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 anyway, another passage that we need to highlight here. If no agreement can be reached between the student and the, and the parents regarding the student's gender identity, or if the parents will not consent to the con- contents of a student support plan, it will be necessary for the school to consider whether the student is a mature minor. Okay, since when has the school been qualified to consider a child a mature minor? Where do they have the qualifications to be able to determine that? Mm. Um, in, in a wedding, if you're going to marry somebody who is under eight, uh, under the age of 18, um, from 16 and above, you have to have a judge sign off on it because mm. a judge is qu- has done the training to be able to decide whether a person is a mature minor. Mm. Marriage is not permanent. It's easier to reverse and has infinitely lower suicide rates when it does fall apart. So it's a much less dangerous thing to embark on, and yet it still requires a judge. Mm. It requires the legal profession. The basic message is that the state can take better care of your children than what than you can. Wow, that's that's what it's saying here. When I think about that, you know, the most outrageously totalitarian communist state that has ever existed has never gone this. Wow. Never gone as far as what Victoria has with this piece of legislation. Australian paediatrician Dr. Dylan Wilson has warned that putting children on medicalised transitioning pathway can lead to devastating consequences, yes. a lack of sexual function, sterility, stunted brain development and bone density issues. Mm-hmm. That's child abuse mm-hmm. right there. Anyone who thinks a politician, even the Premier, can make these kinds of decisions for children has gone too far. Daniel Andrews and the Victorian Education Department have chosen to bypass medical practitioners, court judges and parents. Mm. If schools can do all of this, why do we need doctors and judges and parents? Just let the schools do it. It's a scary world in which we live. This is horrific. And we need to be aware of what our world looks like and what is actually taking place around us right now. And particularly if you're living in Victoria and if you're living in other states, well, it's probably coming your direction at some particular point. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're going to have another question for the quiz. This is actually multiple choice, guys, so put your thinking caps on. Welcome back to the nap plan. Here we go. The book of Revelation reveal... uh, The book of Revelation, sorry, describes the second death as... Okay, multiple choice here. The trumpets sounding and Jesus returning. All the saints being persecuted. Death and hell uh, being cast into the lake of fire. And... Or when... The book of life is open. Let me read that for you one more time. The book of Revelation describes the second death as the trumpet sounding and Jesus returning. That's A. B. All the saints being persecuted. C. Death and hell being cast into the lake of fire. And finally, when the book of life is opened. If you know the answer to that one, 0491-064-669, you will go into the draw to win Snake Bites and Shipwrecks, our board game that we are giving as a prize as a result of this quiz. But yeah, give us a call, 0491-064-669. Joining us in the studio is Daniel Collier, who is a student of the Hebrew language. A learning student, not a learned student. I'm still getting there. A learning student of the Hebrew language and is just sharing with us from time to time fascinating insights that he has been discovering. And so the few different issues that we want to discuss this morning 
the importance of contextual use of letters. Yes, last time we talked about Hebrew, I went through the alphabet. Yes. And it seemed a bit monotonous. It's like, yes. this means this, this means this, this means this. Not a great sort of an, an exciting circumstance for radio, but there's importance to it because we've got to look at why these letters were chosen and why the representations of these letters were chosen. We've got to put it in the contextual time of when it is because a lot of the stuff that they use for letters in those days don't quite translate to our modern times. No, that's right, because they were obviously pictures of things that then became equated with sounds, got hieroglyphic languages that have remained hieroglyphic languages like traditional Chinese or Egyptian or something like that, ancient Egyptian. But this was one that began with hieroglyphic aspects that then became phonetic. Which is amazing as a progression of a language. Yes. So we look at something like Lamed, which is the L. It was referenced by a staff, which denotes wisdom. And when we look at prophets in the Bible, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they had staffs. It was a part of recognising them as being wise in God's people. And the staff was actually significant. It was highlighted from time to time. You know, Moses used his staff whenever there was going to be a plague or a miracle taking place. Very, very important. We don't see that these days. Now, mind you, in my travels, I have crossed a few old, wizard, bearded-looking men with staffs. Don't know if they were genuine real-life warlocks, looking back on it, possibly. People use sticks and staffs as walking aids during hikes and on trails and so forth. This is nice, um, you know, carbon fibre ones. (laughs) Yeah, not the the piece of stick you find, just the perfect one you find in the bush. Like, I'm going to carry this with me forever. But it's not something that's common these days. No. We don't see it. We don't see people walking around with staffs as we would have back in ancient times. We look at something like Gimel, which is references a foot. They walked everywhere. There was no big modes of transportation. You didn't have high-speed trains. You didn't have planes. You didn't have cars. You had maybe drawn chariots and horses and and But only for the wealthy. Only for the wealthy. Everybody else walked everywhere. That's right. The foot had such great importance. Like you wouldn't necessarily put a foot as a mode of travel today. Yes. You wouldn't have it as a symbol. I mean, if you go into Google Maps and you type in greeted to Sydney, it will give you car, train, bike, and foot. It tells you how far you can walk, how long it would take an average person walking, but it's not something that we necessarily associate with being overly common these days. We look at something like Aleph, which was an ox head, and it was referencing strength and leader. Same thing. We don't look at cattle as a source of strength and leadership. They're quite docile. They're quite silly. And they've been bred that way. They just stand in the paddock and they chew grass and and the cud. And this is is the result of very extensive and aggressive breeding because they're hard to handle when they're ornery, but you've got to believe that they were ornery back in the day. Yeah, we we don't see them as a symbol of leadership, do we? No. You don't put a cow as as the head of a a business. You put maybe a bull, but you wouldn't put something like a cow... Or an oxen at, at the head of a... The only thing that we really see in relationship to cows is a piece of flesh on a supermarket shelf. Yes, that is correct. That's mostly how we relate to cows these days. And I, I can't see that being a cuneiform symbol back in the day, piece of cow flesh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Not make it relatable. When we look at the, the, the translation of language and how things have changed, we look at stuff today. Like if you were looking at wisdom, you'd look at um, a brain. Like you, you get emojis on your phone, you put a brain or a book, a computer... Yes. Some kind of technological marvel that contains information. Yes. Because the books are wise, they hold information. The computers are wise, they hold information. Uh, we've already discussed the, the foot and the walking. You'd have emojis for cars and trains and planes and your phones as well. Um, and you'd use things like crowns or 
positive things in, in society that give you status, money, house, car. These things would be translatable these days for the letters that we're using. And we can see how times have changed in a negative way. You can actually get emojis these days, which are uh, two dads and a child, two mums and a child, or a pregnant man. They've actually created those emojis because of the pushback from a socio-political drive. Ideological. To, ideological to support the LGBT, so forth, agenda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You won't find that in ancient Hebrew. It's male, no. female, that's it. Yes. It's two, two sides of the story. You won't find it in any language previous to the last, like, 10 years at the most. That's right. You, you go back you know, hundreds of years in different civilizations, and they'll all just be, there's man and woman, that's it. Even, even, in, even in civilizations where homosexuality was a really big thing, uh, they still recognized that there were men and there were women. Yep. And it, because it, it in itself makes sense in yep. a biological sense. Yes. That's it. That's, 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 the simple basis for it is man and woman is natural. End of story. That's right. <laughs> you don't need to go any further on the debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look at the way that words are put together, uh, as I said before, they all come from a basically a three-letter root word. And we get to start look at some names of people in the Bible, which brings out some interesting aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to getting into this particular section of what we're going to talk about here, names in the Bible. Okay, so Methuselah. What's three things Methuselah is known for? Okay, so he, let me think, he is the oldest recorded person in the Bible. Oldest living and dying person. Yes. Yep. Oldest living and lived the longest of anyone recorded in the Bible. Uh, he died the year the flood came. Correct. And he was the uh, grandfather of Noah. 100%. Okay. Full All marks. Right. You, you got the quiz Good. prize Go to today. The top, of the, top, <laughs> top of the class for Lyle. Now, Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. Yes. Which makes sense because when Methuselah died, that year the flood would come. That's right. Now, Methuselah's name comes from the root word muth, meaning death. So when he died, flood comes. Wouldn't you be afraid if that was your kid? Like if you did, obviously, if you didn't know God, you'd be like every time he got a cold or he sneezed or he stubbed his toe, it's like, don't die. (laughs) <laughs> well, you kind of gave him a name with the root word of death in it. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, you. you've got a kid on the way, Daniel. Have you ever sort of thought of calling your kid, you know, maybe Deathson or something? <laughs> no, not not from the Icelandic. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a really bizarre, like out out of the blue, you go, this child's name is his death shall bring. Like that has yes. meaning. But if we look at something like oh, I don't know, Jared, in the genealogy. In the, in the first 10 patriarchs of the Bible, his name means descent or to come down. That's right. And you suddenly go, this is really bizarre. Like they all had reasonings for their circumstances. Seth, his name means appointed. Or replacement. He's the appointed successor of the line for yes, the genealogy Abel. of Christ because Abel and Cain, Abel's dead, Cain's disqualified. And that one, that one, that one makes perfect sense to me. It does. You know, I, can, I was like, okay, Seth, I, I get why Seth is there. Adam, I get why, why, why Adam is there. Uh, Methuselah, well, that's a prophecy about the flood. Yep. But Jared, what is what, why call him shall come down? I'll tell you what. Let's let's go through the ten names in order, and we'll mm-hmm. see what we come up with. Adam, man, yes, but not male male specifically mankind, humanity, humankind. humanity, yes, because yep, there's different words for male and female in the that's Hebrew right. as well. Yes, Seth is appointed. Enosh, his name comes from the word of mortal. 
Yeah, so they were okay. So they were starting to realize that people were dying and that human beings were mortal and yeah. subject to death. And so this guy comes along and it's like, well, let's give him that name just in case we forget. Don't think they're going to. Then you've got Canaan, which is known as the lowlands, or to be low, or to be humble, or depressed, or to be in a state of sorrow. Okay, so now you can sort of see where humanity is going with this, falling further and further away from the glory of God. So you've got you've got you've got uh, humanity, and then Seth comes along. Well, he's going to replace Cain and Abel because they're gone, because they're mortal, because they're dead, which has made us sad. Yep. All right, keep going. Okay, then we've got Mahalalel. Took me so long to pronounce that correctly. All the times that I watch videos and researched. <laughs> Because you've, be, you've been practicing that one, haven't you? I, have. I see him mouthing it like, I'm not going to try that one. Uh, his name is, it's got L in it. His name is the Blessed God or the Shining One. Okay, so that's a little bit more positive. It is. So now we've sort of turned a corner here. It's starting to make a little bit more sense. And we've got Jared, meaning descent or to come down. Then we've got one of my favorite people in the Bible who has almost no airtime whatsoever, unless you go to the Apocrypha, Enoch, whose name means teaching or trained or dedicated. Then we've got Methuselah, his death shall bring. Then we've got Lamech, which means there's a lot of arguments as to what Lamech means, but I think the, the agreed upon consensus in the the chain of what this happens, it means it's sort of comforting. Okay. Or like a positive spin on it. All something, right. There's something positive coming from it. Because I've always seen a negative spin on this one as being, you know, lament, despairing kind of. There's, like I said, there's different, different ways of, of looking at it. Yep. Um, but it's obviously got something to do with loss. Yes. So you're comforting because of loss or you're despairing because of loss. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you've got Noah, which means rest. Yes. It comes from a root word of rest. So at, least, at, least, at least the antediluvians end on a positive note in their, well, in their list of <laughs> genealogies. I mean, one, 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 well, eight people do. Yes. Everybody else doesn't end so no. well. But if we take those 10 names and we look at their meanings in order, we get a rather interesting story told here. And so it works out to be man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring comforting or despairing rest. You've got the gospel story of Jesus Christ in the first 10 names of the patriarchs of the Bible. Okay, so basically what we've done here is we have put in the meanings of the name in order. So man appointed a replacement followed by mortal, followed by sorrow, followed by the blessed God, followed by descent or come down, followed by was it Ting. teacher teaching, yeah. followed by his death shall bring, his death shall bring, followed by despair or comforting, despair or comforting translation, and then comfort and rest. rest. And so if you then put those name meanings into a sentence, you've got the gospel story. You've got man having been appointed, which is Seth, mortal, which is Enos, so man having been appointed mortal, bringing sorrow, that's Canaan, the blessed God, Mahalil, shall come down, Jared, teaching, Enoch, that his death shall bring, Methuselah, to the despairing, Lamech, comfort and rest, Noah. I think my one is slightly different from yours, but it comes to that same, same. same point. Yeah. You could do something like if you wanted to fake that, you could do it today with the amount of finance available in the world, the power and the capacity to you know write something and have it 
come true in 50 years' time. There's enough money and influence and power around now that the Jesuits, yeah, that's right, I'm calling you out, could do something like that. <laughs> but there's no guarantee. No, but you go back thousands of years, you can't tell me that these people purposefully off their own head named each person individually in that way that encompassed the gospel story. You can't. Yeah, it's not like as if Adam sat down and was like, okay, let's figure out the next how many are there generations, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let's figure out the next ten generations, figure out all their names and tell the gospel story through their names. Because you have them cross over at some point. That's right. Adam and Noah, sorry, is like three generations removed by oh, yeah. by living Absolutely. from the gospel story, from literally walking in the garden with God. Yes, so you could have that overlap there, but there's there's no way they would be clever enough to create that, knowing what God had in plan. Yes. Because there's only been very limited prophecies at this point about Christ coming. So at some particular point, you are going to, if time lasts, have descendants that are 10 generations on from you. Yep. How are you going to predict which of those descendants are going to be the primary line of descendants? How are you going to predict which of those descendants are going to be the godly line of descendants? Because once you've moved on 10 generations, anybody who's done any kind of family research knows that the family tree is unbelievably wide. Huge. And when you're living in a world where you can literally have children for nearly a 1,000 years, you can have a lot of children during that particular time. So how are you going to pick which ones are going to be the preeminent line? How are you going to pick which ones are going to be the godly line? And then how are you going to predict what their names are going to be so that you can like, oh, let me tell us a gospel story right here by creating all of these names in advance 10 generations into the future and we only live a 70-year lifespan. It is supernatural. Absolutely agreed. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible right here. Yeah. There are so many things in the Bible that you can just look at and go, you know what, there's a whole code right there where God has encoded the gospel story just in people's name. It is so fascinating. And that's what draws me to research this stuff. When you find this out, it blows your mind. Yes. It's such a great feeling. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. We always enjoy your insights into the Hebrew language, and we look forward to when you'll join us once again. We're going to be back after this song and the 8 o'clock news. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.